Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. We are looking at the gospel reading for the 15th Sunday after Trinity. It comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 34. I'll read that in the ESV. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right, uh, context. It's Sermon on the Mount. Does it relate to what precedes it? It does. Um, I think it's fair to take it as kind of an independent, you know, teaching in it. But certainly, I mean, it's a call away from the world, right? Mm -hmm. And a call to faith. Um, you know, the explicitly, you're of more value than the birds, and uh, your father will f clothe you, right? Mm -hmm. So these are the things you should be trusting in him and in his mercy and in his promises. And, you know, you should not be caught up in the things of the world. I mean, that's which, you know, that's the Beatitudes, that's mm -hmm. the teaching on the commandments, that's the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it's... Is there, is there a sense in which you mentioned the Lord's teaching on the commandments in the Sermon on the Mount? Is, is there a commandment that he is expounding upon here that is not stated like the others? You have heard it said in days of old, or Moses has told you those sorts of things. Um, is there something similar here that the hearers would have expected to hear one thing and Jesus is expounding it in a different way? Well, it seems like it's the first commandment, right? It's This is idolatry that we're being tempted to. But I suppose also the seventh commandment, right, that, you know, that you're, you have to work. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you don't work, you can't eat. And here he's saying, don't worry about that. But and I suppose the fourth petition in a sense, but it, it seems to me it's most directed at 
the kind of idolatry that we have, right? That we're tempted towards the things of creation and the goodness of creation and to try to provide, provide for that. So um, it's kind of like a, a, a compartmentalization of the things of God versus the things of this world where, you know, so we worship on Sunday and that's our God time. And then the rest <laughs> of the week we just do whatever the hell we want. Um, right. He's trying to say, look, that's not what life is. You, you can't have right. those two things going on at the same time. Well, it's funny. I like your trans. I liked the, what did I forgot to pay attention at the, I liked the translation of money instead of mammon in verse 24. Why I think, is that? I think I, mammon. Why do I not like mammon? Yeah. I think mammon's too distancing because we, we want because we, we want to try to reason. We, we like money and we want there to be something, right? We don't want to be told to not like money. So we want to be like, oh, mammon's a certain kind of money, you know, that which is ill-gotten or which is used for evil. But money in itself is just fine. And I think that's not, I think the word just means money. I mean, it is a loaded term a little bit, but I like that So I've always taken mammon to be more inclusive than money, just possessions in general. Oh, I see. Well, fine. Good. But I I think... uh, I think we I think we better just go give this dog a name and it's money. Money's the big problem. Um because money encompasses all the other. I'd say money is a more inclusive term because mm. it's right, it's well okay, so let's we've talked I think we've talked about this before but right, what is money? What does money do for us? Right? Money gives us distance from other people. Why is it that, you know, I spend all of my time fantasizing about somebody giving the church $10 million because then I wouldn't be dependent on volunteers, right? <laughs> I could hire all these things. <laughs> I mean, but that's actually, I, so I mean, why really though? Think about that, right? What What is your sort of fantasy for Emmanuel in Tuscola when you think about money? Why is it you wish you had all this money so you could fix all this stuff, make right and you wouldn't need to ask for pe- the people to support it, and you wouldn't need to ask people to do it, and that would make it easier. Well, I, but maybe I'm it wouldn't in, be so good. I'm in kind of a different situation, I think, because I would prefer more volunteers. It would cause well, yeah. other problems, but I, I don't want that distancing. I think, I think our, I think my congregation and a lot of congregations have become dependent on just being able to hire it out. And, yeah, no, exactly. Right. And, and I, I actually want that kind of, even with the difficulties that will come with it, that kind of mindset among the people like, this is my church, and that means I'm going to do something for it, not just right. give to it. No, no, that's the ideal. That's what I'm saying. But I think we often, you know, when we're when we're sort of daydreaming or sure. imagining, you know, we're wishing I could just, oh, man, I wish we could just hire a full-time custodian. <laughs> so I didn't have to move these chairs. You know, I wish we could just, you know, all all this sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean. I think that, right, when we're fantasizing about money, we don't often recognize that it's, why do I want money for the church? It's so I don't, I'm not dependent, but it's, that's the sort of problem. Yeah. I've I've often heard people be worried about, well, if we have a big endowment fund, people will stop giving. I'm less worried about them not giving than I am about them not working. Right. Right. That, that we need. So, but it's the same thing at home too, right? More money means I don't have to rely on my friends to help me Hmm. and, uh, or do things myself. It's this kind of money is power and it, it affects relationships deeply. And so I think money is a bigger problem than we know, 
more than yeah. we realize how, how I, I always quote this. I'm sure I've quoted it on here, but I love this line from Luther that the last part of a man that's converted is his wallet. Right. And I, be, I believe it. Uh, and I mean, I believe anecdotally, I mean, I've seen this in sort of converts, um, you know, I mean, I don't know exactly what they're giving is, but I have some sense. Maybe it's not accurate, but, you know, it is funny how it takes people a while to really be committed enough to actually donate their money. Um, so anyway, I like the money translation. Okay. So, I mean, is this then an opportunity to discuss, um, you know, that the money is the root of all evil? Um that it yeah. it provides an occasion for sin. Do you do you go more harshly than that? Do you do you say like money in itself is not evil, or do you say yeah, it's evil? Well, of of course. I mean, you know, in itself, it's not evil, but you know, neither is intercourse or alcohol, you know, or guns or all sorts of things. I mean, but it, it it's to say that it's simply an occasion. I think, I think we need to recognize that our relationship with money is tainted by sin in such a way that it's impossible, even as, as it's impossible for us to enjoy the pleasure of the marriage bed perfectly, mm-hmm. purely, right? Yeah. Um, in, a, in a similar way, maybe even more exaggerated with money, it's, it's tainted by sin and uh, our confusion of it. I mean, it, so all the kind of bad stuff that money does to us needs to be recognized. Um, do you, so what were you, what were you, so oh, the, 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 yeah. So in that sense, I Go mean, ahead. do you say something effective? This is an occasion for you to think that you're independent from God. And, right. And, and actually put forward your own independence, uh, which is idolatry. And that right. is You're the problem with wealth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're actually a slave to money. You're a slave to these things because why? Not because, you know, it's because you think that money will buy you whatever it is, health, right? Safety, friends, honor. I mean, <clears throat> all the things that you, food, all the things that you think pleasure. So money is the means to obtain this. And, and, and it's, that's why money you know, is such a slave master. But also, I keep forgetting now, I forgot a second time, that money is the root of all evil. What was I going to say about this? I can't remember now. I have it written down somewhere. It'll come back to me. So do you think um, this was planned by the lectionary people way back when, um, that this comes up just before guys are heading into the fields? Hmm. I don't know. I never thought of that. It's good. It's a good point, though. Yeah, this is harvest time, right? And how we how we might think about that. Well, yeah, yeah. It is. It is always a difficult thing, right? Well, okay. So that's the sort of next thing that we get at in the argument that's made after this. Well, first of all, this I think it's really interesting that uh, right. No one can serve two masters, and then it's not right. You cannot serve God and the devil. <laughs> it's God and mammon or money. Uh, which is interesting that uh, that's the that's the false god that's set up against the true god. Mm-hmm. Well, well, then you get uh, you know this whole thing about being about worry, right? And that is trying to scheme, plot, to strategize, to again to take care of yourself independently from God, so you don't need Him. And the distinction that ought to be made between us and the animals, right? We have the same base needs as animals. We need food and water and clothing, right? Uh, and yet, 
you know, we are to retain this awareness that we are being provided for by God and that even if these things should be stripped away, even unto death, that God will deliver us through death unto life. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have this argument from the lesser to the greater. So, and this is very explicit in verse 26, right? Are you not of more value than they? That is the birds that don't even work, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And your life is more than food and more than clothing. So, that that's an an interesting argument that sets up the doctrine of man. Uh, so is this uh, is this a lot of people hear this? I should say that okay, he's showing the distinction between man and animals. Look, he he feeds all the animals and clothes all the fields or, or the lilies of the field. Um, are, are you saying is Jesus telling me not to work and not yeah, gather right. into barns? Well, that's where the Yeah. No. I mean, he's not saying that at all. He's saying that the example of the birds shows that God is the one that provides. And, you know, he provides for birds through the means he's he's given to birds. And if he can do that, he certainly can provide through our sowing and reaping and gathering into barns. We we should do all three of those things. Mm -hmm. We just simply should do it free of care. That is free of, you know, this intense worrying and plotting for the future. Uh, we should do we should do so because it's the work that we've been given, right? We shall eat bread by the sweat of our brows, but we should do so recognizing the giver mm-hmm. and and trusting in him. Jesus is the ultimate embodiment of this, right? Yeah. That I mean, he goes to the cross hungry, thirsty, and naked. So uh, you know, he he actually trusts in his father even when his father, according to all experience and everything that we can see, is not providing. So is this. Is when it says free, when you say free of care, um, you know, that, that word that we translate as ang- anxious or anxiety talks kind of at its basic level is to care for something or to, to be mindful of something in particular. Is he's not telling us not to care, like, <laughs> right? But it's inordinate care. Yeah. Right. Okay. It's, so, it's not exact, caring, yeah. so caring for the right things in its proper order and its proper place. Right. Um, These are the proper things to care about, mm-hmm. but you you can't care about them too much. Okay. Um, in what way was Jesus not caring about the things? Like he didn't he didn't sweat the what was coming upon him. I I'm just trying to figure out like how was he carefree in that sense. Well, he yeah. wasn't worried. Yeah. I mean, that, that's it. I mean, we're not, we're not free from labor. We're free from worry. I mean, I think worry is the right, the right word here, the okay. right translation. So, right. I mean, Jesus isn't worried. He's not, it's, it's not like he's thinking, well, I wonder what's going to happen. I mean, he knows this is going to be terrible, uh, but he believes that, so what? Right? I mean, there's this just confidence and patience that he goes forth in complete trust that the Father will vindicate him and that he'll be given the Gentiles as his inheritance, and it's all worth it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so all things work though, together. So like the the Franzman hymn, oh, what of that, what of that, that kind of understanding, the that kind of frame of mind that he knows that he will go and not everyone will actually end up believing him, but he trusts that the father will work good from this, regardless of yeah. of uh, the magnitude, I suppose. Yeah, I think exactly that. 
Okay. Right? He, he, the father told him to do this. I mean, I, I really think that, you know, philosophically, it's the divine command theory that, that is really the Christian view of things. I, there's probably a few nuances that, but, you know, for example, when God tells Abraham to kill Isaac, right? What, what's going on there? Um, what is Abraham to believe? And I think Abraham is to believe that God said it. God only says things that are good, right? What he says is good. Therefore, this is good, even though I can't uh, possibly imagine how that could be. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to proceed in faith and the confidence that God doesn't tell me to do things that aren't good and that mm-hmm. don't work for good and the like. And that's the faith and the confidence that he goes through forward according to the word. And Jesus is in that situation completely, right? I mean, he's, he's going forward, believing that his father's good, and no matter what, right? No matter what reason, experience, you know, say about this, he, he goes by the word. Okay. And, and isn't, I mean, that's the whole thing with the Beatitudes too. Yeah. So what is, what is the word that, he has said prior to this that we would elicit anxiety from like, so what's the command? Uh, Is it to work? Is it to, to be generous? Is it to, does that make sense? No, I think it's, yeah, but I don't think those are the, I think it's the, uh, I think it's the command that uh, if you forgive men, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. I mean, I think that the, the thing that elicits worry is, we don't really trust God to provide for the future. So, I mean, I, I think I was tra- sort of playing around with this uh, tomorrow language, right? Because you've got today is full of trouble. What did the, what the I forgot to listen. What did the ESV have for trouble there? Verse 34. Did it just um, have sufficient for the day as its own trouble? Yes. Yeah. That's So that word is, is taken from the word for evil, mm-hmm. right? Kaka. <laughs> so, uh, I just kind of wonder if trouble's a little too soft. But anyway, um, today is full of trouble, right? Tomorrow's Tomorrow worries for itself, and the day after tomorrow is the third day, right? The day of resurrection. And there is a sense in which this word tomorrow is like the, like the day after tomorrow or the third day, a kind of ambiguous term of the future, and this belongs to God, right? He's the son of tomorrow. He's the son of the eighth day. That that's uh, that's where we're sort of placing everything, and you know that's ultimately what matters. So I think our problem is we're looking at the trouble for today and what we're enduring. I mean, again, think of Jesus on the cross, right? That's pretty caca. That's that's awful. Um, and yet he's looking to Easter, right? He's looking to Sunday and and trusting that he'll be vindicated and these promises will come true. And that's the model and the command that I think were the least, and that's why it's a first commandment problem. We don't, Mm. our fallen flesh doesn't trust God to take care of tomorrow. Why are we storing up in barns, right? I mean, the parable, right? I mean, I know that's similar language though, right? He's storing up in barns the wrong way. Um, And, you know, his life will be taken from him that very day and he's not ready. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to prepare for the future all the time. What we're really worried about is really the kind of existential reality. Um, and that's why we're, because we don't trust in tomorrow, we're trying to take care of today's troubles so that we can assure tomorrow, but we don't have any control over that. Mm-hmm. That's total vanity to think that we can, you know, 
figure out what's going to happen tomorrow. So, are so you, we should instead. So is, I mean, what? Don't save, don't have insurance policies, don't. <laughs> I mean. Well, I mean, I think to that's taking it too far. Say, yeah, I mean. I, yeah, I of guess, course, that's being foolish. Is, uh, but we should be taking care of what's in front of us again. Okay. Right? All right. So does it boil down to then Jesus just saying, look, you're so focused on tomorrow that you're not even living today. Like you don't right. even see the things right in front of you. And you're Absolutely. you're so um you're so other day minded that you miss out on what's right there. You're not enjoying the moment. Yeah. Um right. and and so his fix is to be heavenly minded. Why is that? Like, you know, you hear the old saw, you're so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Um <laughs> How, why yeah, well, is, that's the monks that abuse this. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, we're supposed to be actually, look, look. so I love this word for look at the birds of the air, right? So, you know, be taught by them, think about them, contemplate them, right? T- that we should, we should look about creation and recognize that we have a greater responsibility and duty to the world than the birds do, right? We are actually supposed to sow, reap, and gather into barns, but we do so without knowing the immediate future, right? That the, our lives could be taken from us today, right? Like the, in the parable or the, you know, a forest fire could come sweeping through and destroy everything. But we know the, we know the, uh, we know the ultimate future, right? So we proceed with this confidence that, that God will provide and he will work all things together for good. And that gives us the freedom to actually go about our labor and our God-given vocations in confidence that he will bless it without trying to take control of it. Mm-hmm. And that actually enables us to enjoy it, right? If everything doesn't depend on me, thank God, right? Then I can actually go about my work with some joy. I mean, being a minister of the gospel would be the worst if, it, if everything depended on us. Yeah. Being a father would be pretty, or a husband. I mean, all those things would be pretty horrible. But, but if I just go, look, you know, I'm a steward, these children belong to God, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go in this confidence that he will bless them, and he will bless his word, and he will work, right, one way or another, and, you know, the ultimate future is assured, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm aimed toward. I mean, that's just Christianity 101, isn't it? That's, that's like the most basic call to faith imaginable in a sense. Well, yeah, I, I see that. But, you know, most people think they're doing that. <laughs> right. Well, okay, so that's what I was going to say about money. I finally remembered. <laughs> the third, I'm not going to forget again. So the, that, uh, you know, I was just talking to somebody uh, again recently that, you know, the church budget is a theological statement. Yeah. And your check your checkbook register, when we used to, right, is a theological statement. I mean, it does actually, I mean, I think one of the things we can preach and should preach on occasion is, right, we need to examine our priorities according to the numbers and see what we really, right, what's really important to us. What are we willing to spend our money on? And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, there is this, again, so like most people think they're doing this. Well, they need to be called out to actually examine this somewhat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think that this, I was thinking about this as I was preparing, actually, as I was walking away from preparing to get a cup of coffee and thinking about it still. You know, this is not a difficult text at all to understand. 
Right. I mean, it's very straightforward, very simple. It's not an allegory. It's just a comparison, right? From lesser to greater and then from greater to lesser. I think most, it's, it's poetic, right? It's beautiful and it's profound. It's deep. I don't mean it's, but it's at the same time, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Worrying is actually a waste of time, right? To quote, not the Bible, but Marcus Aurelius, right? We do more suffering in our imagination than in reality. We cause ourselves all this stress and pain unnecessarily. Um, I mean, that's just like good advice in some sense. And really, uh, uh, worry is really unreasonable if you're a Christian, if you actually believe what Jesus says. Mm-hmm. So the message isn't particularly difficult um, in terms of intellectually recognizing it or understanding the gist of what Jesus is saying is not difficult. It's just blastedly difficult for idolaters like us to live. Mm. And um, I think that's what we have to kind of get to is okay you understand this congratulations good for you you know now are you willing to actually apply it to your life and to judge your life right to examine yourself according to these standards and say how much do i worry and what are the things i'm worrying about and then i think even better right ultimately what's the real why am i worried yeah so what are the signs of worry so what are the what are the practices of worry what are the the actions of worry that could be highlighted as we're talking like, cause most people say, well, you know, yeah, I have that kind of, you know, I worry about this kind of, and I worry about that, but what really demonstrates worry? Uh, uh, how about obsessive thoughts? Um, you know, how about heartburn? How about a uh, stiff neck? I don't know. Um, sleepless, uh, orneriness, sleeplessness, crankiness, Mm. right? A a distraction instead of paying attention to your wife, you know, you're thinking about work. I mean, you're not just thinking, you're worrying, right? So um, same thing in church, right? An inability to concentrate and focus. I mean, I think those are all, these are all sorts of things, Uh, you know, and then dark fantasies or, or, uh, or even exaggerated fantasies about what you would do. Mm. If you've ever made a plan, in your own imagination about what you would do if you had a million dollars. And then while planning that, you realized you needed more. Oh, no, that won't be enough to do everything I want to do. I need two million. Wait, mm. that won't be enough. I need 10 million. Uh, you're guilty of worry, right? Mm. I mean, you're, you're, you're concerned. I mean, it's not worry in the classic sense of maybe anxiety, but you're, you're focused on the wrong things and you're putting your, you're imagining that money will solve your problems and fix things and it won't. And again, we kind of, we know that intellectually, mm-hmm. but do we really believe it? So do you right? think like, I, I always, you mentioned distraction. Do you think just a lack of delight in what your activity is right then and there? If you're, if you're always thinking about not what you're doing and who you're with, but something else. Yeah. That that's the size. So like when you're at work, you're distracted because you want to be at home or playing, doing something else. When you're at home, yeah. you want to be doing something else. When you're playing, you want to be doing something. You, you never delight in what's right in front of you. Right. That's an inordinate care. Yeah. Right. So it may not be that you're worried about how you're going to hit tonight at the softball game. But if all you want to do is be at the softball game when you're supposed to be at work, you're not right? That's inordinate. You're caring for something out of order mm-hmm. um, or you're caring about it too much or at so, the wrong time or in the wrong way. Are you trying to convict the Bugenhagen people here? 
<laughs> well, I, I, you're right. I have too much care for my physical health to play softball at the Bugenhagen. I don't want to get hurt. I, I know myself. I can't control myself. Yeah. I get into those situations, and I remember what my body used to do. Yeah. The big joke. I'll try to make it do it. The big joke to Ramirez is he only has Bugenhagen so that he can play softball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's all sorts of, of part of it. There's, you know, just because, so it's not as though the only thing is sort of anxious or negative concern about the future. I mean, it can also be a kind of positive concern about the future, but it's still, if it's inordinate, it's inordinate, mm-hmm. right? We're supposed to be mindful of, of, of what God has given and trust in him to provide and not be, you know, again, kind of plotting, scheming, strategizing. I mean, there's some, there's some place for being wise with the stuff of this world, but then there has to be this willingness to let it go, mm-hmm. which is, you know, largely also, again, you know, not only the example of Jesus, but also the lesson that is afflicted upon Job, right? Yeah. So, you know, so, what about, I think what also, is, uh, okay. To what extent um, do, do our screens and uh, our other things play into this? Do, if, oh, yeah. we, if, we, if we find ourselves um, turning to uh, other kinds of forms of wealth, like technology, um, is that a sign of our anxiety, of our um, – that's obviously a distraction. But does that show us that we're worried or we're, we're – not content. Yeah, completely, right? Fear of missing out or uh, desire for a little dopamine hit, you know, mm-hmm. um, from getting a like for, you know, on social media or getting an email that's going to be funny or flattering or <laughs> whatever it is that we're that we're addicted to, right? That we want that. And right. we can't be, if we're not satisfied with where we are and what we're doing at the moment, I mean, if what we're doing at the moment is, you know, our God-given vocations, or fulfilling of those, then, you know, and, and instead we're just like, oh, I wonder what's, yeah, I think that's all related. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So at the core, what is, if we're looking at the five uses of scripture uh, or the fivefold use, what is Jesus teaching here? What, what are the doctrines? Uh, well, we definitely, I think, have, right, a call to faith, what faith really is, um, the goodness of creation, even after the fall, that there is this beauty in creation that's greater than uh, anything man-made. That I love this poem. Pied, I don't know if I'm pronouncing these words right. Pied beauty. Do you know this poem? I don't. Glory be to God for dappled things, for skies of couple-colored as brinded cow, for rose moles all in stipple upon trout that swim. I love this poem. <laughs> Fresh fire coal, chestnut falls, finches wings, landscape plotted and pieced, fold, fallow, and plow, and all trades, their gear and tackle and trim. All things counter, original, spare, strange, whatever is fickle, freckled, who knows how. With swift, slow, sweet, sour, a dazzle dim, he fathers forth whose beauty is past change. Praise him. So I love this. Glory be to God for dappled things. This idea that a trout, you know, is more beautiful than, you know, anything man can create. And that, uh, anyway. So what's the corresponding reproof to that? I mean, in the text. I mean, well, so like we're supposed like to. Those, you know, teaching reproof, they, they correspond with one another. Correction and training and righteousness, those correspond with each other. Right. 
So we're, we go ahead. So yeah, what's the what's the correspondence to the teaching or the corresponding reproof to the teaching that even after the fall, there is goodness in the creation? I think that there's again because we're slaves to money. Um, because we're slaves to money, we're incapable of actually enjoying creation and recognizing its beauty. That there is a kind of cynicism that is seen as being sophisticated that is actually impious, right? That's just complaining, you know, sort of, you know, this sort of thinking that everybody is stupid, the world's full of stupid people, no politicians can be trusted, right? Just everything is bad and getting worse and blah, 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 right? All of that kind of pessimistic cynicism sort of thing that fails to stop and consider the lilies, mm. right? It's looking, it's looking for set because, and why? It, it can't appreciate the lilies because it's a slave to pleasure and a slave to avoiding pain. And mm. it, wants, it, it wants things on its own terms. And I think there is a, I know this sounds like sort of, you know, but, you know, to sort of stop and marvel at the beauty of a dandelion coming up in the crack of the sidewalk, you know, has its place. Yeah. And, and since we're a slave to those things, we don't enjoy our children's laughter anymore. When right. They right. Ask we don't enjoy any of these things. To do it again, dad, we get, we're bored with what games they want to play and we don't want to play them. And we want to move on to something else, move on, move on. And we train then our kids to always move on. Right. And we're looking, the perfect's the enemy of the good is part of this too, I think. This right, thank, uh, praise God for dappled things, mm-hmm. right? Is this, that to, to see beauty in things that don't have the pattern, right? Uh, or that are sort of, you know, unusually shaped and colored and, and the like. Okay. So it's a great poem. You know, but anyway, it's always so that'd be fun to use. I might use it. Um, I haven't read a poem in the pulpit for a long time. They more, all roll their eyes when I do. Yeah, more on teaching. <laughs> more on teaching. You mean well? Uh, you mean in terms of well, I would say, well, that would be a reproof. But yeah, okay. Another one. Just we we did mention this doctrine of man that mm. man is the crown of creation, right? So greater than the birds, um, and yet you know lower than the lilies is an interesting thing. Uh, I wonder, by the way, if Solomon isn't a Christological reference here, hmm. right? That even Solomon, right, the son of David, the prince of peace, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these uh, lilies, right? That Jesus is stripped of all of his beauty, um, right? That there hmm. is no, uh, ca- you know, his countenance is not pleasing uh, and the like. And, uh, all of this is taken away and thrown into the fire, but then tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. So anyway, maybe so there's greater that. than the birds, but less than the lilies. We have our place. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so the lilies are the lilies, the angels. Is that why? I don't know. Cause they're white and they're pure. And um, maybe the birds are the demons. I don't know. This isn't an allegory, but you know, there, there is that kind of correspondence of, uh, the birds sometimes being demonic, like the birds that come and snatch the seeds, you know, that the sower. And uh, anyway. Well, is, um, so what's the, what's the corresponding reproof? Know your place or, or, or something? Well, I think, yeah. And uh, shoot the gorilla. That's the, that's the reproof, right? Was, you know, so I use this example all the time, but I can't remember the name of that. Harumba or something. 
Harambe, yeah. the gorilla in Cincinnati, right, that got shot to say because a baby had crawled into the, the right. It wasn't it wasn't the gorilla's fault. Doesn't matter. Every human baby is more valuable than a gorilla, and that is. Uh, in fact, I have a couple of patristic quotes for you. Where did I where did I put them? I lost them. Here they are. Here's Augustine. This is a great quote. Indeed, a higher price is often given for a horse than a slave, for a jewel than for a waiting maid. But this is not from reasonable valuation, but from the need of the person requiring, or rather from his pleasure desiring it. Right? So yeah, we know that, that human beings are devalued by other human beings wrongly, uh, but Augustine's saying that's not reasonable, actually. It's not in accord with God's word or with natural law. And uh, so I think to, to recognize the value of humanity, this, of course, you could easily go for the whole abortion argument here. Here's a similar quote from Pseudo-Chrysostom. For God created all animals for man, but man for himself. Therefore, by how much the more precious is the creation of man, so much the greater is God's care for him. If then the birds without toiling find food, shall man not find to whom God has given both knowledge of labor and hope of fruitfulness? So, so, so I think this, the reproof is... What's, is this similar, like a focus on people, not things, the giver, not the gifts, that type of thing? or Yeah, and just recognizing that, right, that... Uh, what matters in this world, again, like the value of children, the value of old people, the value of mm-hmm. the disabled, you know, so kind of anti-euthanasia, anti-abortion, but also kind of pro-school and pro-elderly care and, you know, love of neighbor. Again, you know, that kind of being mindful of the right things. Yeah. Um, you know, like and the things that- the things, Yeah. Yeah. So what are the things that destroy culture or the right culture? Slavery to money. I mean, you know, this, this idea that everything is, is just for sale, that everything is for pleasure, that, or, and also, you know, it, and money here, you've also, though, got the kind of insane pursuit of bodily health as well. Is life not more than the body? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so we, we have to recognize. Uh, you know, what's eternal and what matters. So, I mean, again, you could sort of launch into your anti-COVID uh, reaction stuff, but I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that that's part of it too. What are we making into idols? What What is it that replaces our trust in God and our confidence mm-hmm. and our willingness to wait for him to reveal himself, right? All of, all of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So you'd, you'd have a, a teaching on the goodness of creation and the doctrine of man, and then you could pull those two things together, those two reproofs together. It seems like those would go yeah. together pretty well. Yeah, they would. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you do have, of course, right, this explicit command at the end of this section to seek first the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. right? Which, which is so. I think there's also a, uh, you could do some in terms of training, you know, mm-hmm. this idea of meditation as the kind of antidote to worry. So worry is, you know, right, obsessive thinking, negative thinking, or, you know, concern, inordinate concern for the future in some sense, whereas meditation and kind of mindfulness on scripture and the word of God and his promises is kind of a slowing down um, and a waiting in the moment and a reflection on the promise, right? So, Mm -hmm. because you have this, consider the lilies, um, 
or consider the birds of the air, right? That there, there is this call to stop and to think about this. And I think these are pointed examples because these are not things that you really need to think about in the conventional sense of the word, right? Like we need to think about, you know, how we're going to solve some problem, some difficulty, you know, this, this fence, you know, this fence gate doesn't close. I have to think about and try to understand the mechanics of it, blah, 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 and what I can do to fix it without spending a bunch of money that requires thought. I don't, what am I, what is there to think about with a lily? Uh, you know, big deal. It's just a lily. Well, the point is, is to actually, recognize that there's more to the lily than I first saw and patience will be rewarded, right? And consideration of this will be rewarded. And I will learn to see things here more accurately and true. It's not, it's not pragmatic, right? It doesn't just, you know, give me some kind of technia at the end of it after I've thought about lilies. What it does is it increases my Sophia. It actually bestows wisdom. I mean, if I'm thinking about God's word and what he's revealed in a slow, deliberate, you know, maybe even boring way, this will actually uh, produce fruit. So does the, does the godly wisdom, the Sophia, uh, does, is, is that given by means of a, uh, I can't remember the Greek word, phronesis, uh, phronia, oh, thinking, yeah. the, the practical wisdom? I mean, it, it should, it should also bestow practical wisdom, but it can, you know, they're not distinct completely from one another, but mm-hmm. we have a kind of obsession with practicality that would dismiss things that aren't obviously practical or don't seem to have an immediate application. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think in our day and age, we are not prone to getting caught up in those sorts of things to the detriment of action. Uh, I think at our age, which might have been a monastic problem, but in our age, I think, you know, we need to actually defend the reality. Well, just, you know, you just sort of think about the sort of uh, way that we get attacked, you know, for like memory work, right? What What's the use of it? The point is, I know what it means. And so, so to just to kind of defend, well, we want to seat this more deeply in the mm-hmm. person's soul. We want to uh, help him think about this from the inside out. We want him to be changed by it. And it might, it doesn't have any necessarily practical benefits that mm-hmm. are visible, you know, but so there's to, benefit to it nonetheless. So to bring up poetry, is this the time you would bring in um, Billy Collins's introduction to poetry? Where, yeah, uh, I love that one. That's, that's a great one. I just actually just gave that to my kid, uh, my oldest son, I think last week, because they're starting a unit on poetry and Shakespeare. And... Um, he had to present about it. And I said, look, read this poem. And um, because he was saying like, I just don't understand this. And I'm like, well, you know, that's not always the point of poetry. Sometimes it's just to feel what they feel and, you know, let the words and the images kind of wash over you. And so I said, read this. And, uh, and I ended up reading it out loud to the, to him and he's just laughing. He's like, it's so true. I just want to just interrogate it and tie it down and <laughs> tie like, it to a ex- chair <laughs> and, and extract some kind of meaning out of it instead of just enjoying it. Um, and uh, he said, "Okay, this this is actually really helpful." So he took that to his class, and um, I think they found it helpful too. But it's just a class of mostly boys, and so they're just kind of like, 
I don't see the immediate applicability to this. Right. Yeah, that is a, that is one of my favorite Billy Collins poems. I, I've used that quite a bit myself. It's I'm glad he I'm glad he experienced it and enjoyed it that way. And see, it did reveal something to him yeah. in a way that just telling him. I mean, that's the sort of magic of poetry, right? If you would have just told him straightforward, it just it just went to clicked. But through the imagery and and the humor in that poem, also, right? It mm-hmm. it actually revealed a truth to him that prose would have difficulty doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a mouse water skiing or something like that. <laughs> feeling for the light switch in the dark. All that's just yeah. great. Yeah, it, it was great. I mean, I mean, and that's all part of the, like, that's all part of the experience of poetry. And it seems like what our Lord is trying to do here is like, just experience life as God gives it. Yeah, yeah, just right. Just, just live. Uh, be, again, be mindful. Quit trying to wring everything out of everything. Quit try. You know, I think I've been using this phrase a lot the last few years. I, I picked it up from Ben Mays, but this, you know, it's like everybody's trying to maximize pleasure all the time. Right? Our, our goal, our purpose is not to maximize anything. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, you know. There's just this kind of, uh, that's what creates this worry. What about this, like, this kind of modern anxiety that, you know, the fear of missing out? Yeah. I mean, that is a, that's a really dumb fear. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll tell a story on my poor wife, but she has this problem. Uh, she's better than she used to be, but she struggles if we go to a restaurant to order off the menu because she's afraid she won't pick the best thing possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know this is such a great experience you know and she wants it to be she wants to have the most delicious thing she can and she can't decide because of what if you know it's like you know look you're you're, you're ruining the experience right yeah. i mean just the, the, there is you, an irony to all of this isn't there and I, like yeah in the fear of missing out you're actually missing out you're missing out on what's <laughs> right. right in front of you the the right. fear of not having the greatest experience is actually causing you the not to have the greatest experience. <laughs> right. Is is, is, so, there, is right. this what Jesus is telling us? Like not don't do that. Stop it. Yes. Yes, he is. He totally is. That's what it is to be a slave to mammon. Right? Mm-hmm. To be a slave to creation destroys the enjoyment of creation. Yeah. You you can't actually enjoy create because you've again, it's inordinate. It's out of order. It's out of place. It's not being used according to God's institution. Uh, you know, and his mercy, it's being used in a way that's selfish. Mm-hmm. And right, yeah. So, um, but th- but this is not to say that the farmer can't enjoy the creation as it's being used to farm, right? Right. Or or that you know the one who's like you know the land should just be left alone. He's actually not enjoying the creation. <laughs> no, he's not because the creation is to be under dominion. It should be yeah. producing. Yeah. I mean if you're if you're loving the natural creation, I mean if you're if you're saying, look, we need to set some aside, okay, good. You know, there that that's fair. Mm-hmm. But if you're you know, if you're just being a pagan and thinking right. that somehow, you know, yeah. Mother Earth and so, every time you right, scratch right. the soil, you're scratching Mother Earth and she <laughs> writhes in pain from it. Right. I mean, I actually think um, you know, if you if you want to be a 
a vegetarian for health reasons, knock yourself out. But if you try to pull a theological or an ethical reason, I get disturbed. Mm. Uh, because, I mean, I, I think the purpose of cows is to be steak. Um, you know, this is, this is their... This is their God-given purpose is to is to serve humanity. Now, you know, we shouldn't be abusing them in any way, but I feel I think if you make the charge that it's immoral to eat animals, you've gone too far. Mm-hmm. I mean, biblically speaking, right? It's they're, they're delivered to us. Now, you may choose not to because you don't think it's healthy or you don't think it's, you know, fiscally responsible or whatever. But don't say it's immoral to murder a cow and eat it, mm-hmm. because God says we can, and they're given for that purpose. And I actually think there's a sense in which that's what cows want to do. Yeah, they want to be they want to be food for us. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they don't know they want that exactly because right they've been also corrupted by the fall, and now all of creation right is suffering. Um, you know, under the curse and and looking to who are the sons of God, but but that's actually their purpose and what they want to do. But there's a sense in which the creation is there to direct us. Like, look at the birds yeah. in the air, look at the lilies of the field. Uh, you know, the ox knows his master, but, right? Um, so, in what sense, in one sense, are we supposed to let it be our teacher, creation? Like, how is that a doctrine? It, or is that what oh, you're yeah. getting at with the goodness of creation? Yeah, that's the goodness of creation. Again, that we recognize in creation the fingerprints of the giver, right? We, we know where this comes from, and and we receive it again in the proper order. So mm-hmm. I think, like, you can think, what what is the disordered food, drink, and clothing, right? So, you know, the disordered food is gluttony, right, that simply takes food for pleasure or selfishly, which withholds food from others, right, to either gain power over them or to just out of not caring for them, right? So to not share or to, you know, all the gluttony stuff is food, right, where it's pleasure or it's fear for the future and I'm hoarding it. I mean, is there a sense too in the the other side of the equation just to see it only as fuel and never to be enjoyed – Oh, good one. I like it. I hadn't thought of that, but I think that's absolutely right. Yes, that was very Aristotelian of you. Right. Yeah, to, to, yeah that's good. No, that's right. That we, The Bible calls us to feast. There are right. times to feast. And to refuse to feast is also a problem. Yeah. I, that's fair. Of course, that's not typically our problem. <laughs> that's not our problem. Uh, but, but it's still- But that's what we desire. I mean, part of our anxiety is we just want to be disciplined enough to be like machines. Like we don't want the emotion. We don't want the highs and the mm. lows. We just want to be like these even tempered automata that just are machines. Yeah. Not, not actually human. Yeah. Like yeah, to be a, it's a yeah. rejection of God. Cause we don't want to be human. We just want to be uh, machines. Right. Jesus wept. So if you don't weep, you're not like him. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is this to be human is is to endure the gamut of of emotions and the, that Jesus endured at least, right? Yeah, yeah. So you you can't avoid the things he avoided. I, I mean, foremost crosses, right? Mm-hmm. Suffering, difficulty, but but also learning in those to find actual contentment and hope and confidence in his word. Mm-hmm. All right. So inordinate drink. I'll see if you can pull an Aristotelian with this one. 
<laughs> but uh, I, I think that's mostly has to do with alcohol. That right to be drunk, it's a kind of gluttony, of course, but it's a particular kind of foolish gluttony, and it's more despicable because it causes one to lose his reason, right, mm-hmm. and also then to lose his inhibitions. So that, you know, to, to, to give up his virtues more easily, which is off, often kind of actually the goal of getting drunk, um, is to have a kind of excuse or a way to sort of, right, enjoy this sort of vice and pretend like whatever. So, yeah. so drunkenness is particularly, right, to be free of the burden of virtue um, and to sort of live in this fantasy world where pain doesn't exist and the like, right? Mm-hmm. It's a numbing of certain things, an exaggeration of others at the absolute destruction of reason. Um, so I think that's the most disordered. Now, I don't, I don't know. You're going to try to pull teetotaler. That well, would be I mean, the other extreme. I mean, there are teetotalers that are teetotalers because they um, know themselves well enough that they're undisciplined in that area. And I don't, so I don't hold that, but there are teetotalers that are, this is an evil in and of itself. And that seems to say, uh, that seems to reject the gladness of the heart of man that God gives through these things. Yeah. Well, in the Um, sacrament, obviously, I mean, you've got, so if God used something wicked for the sacrament, that would be problematic. Yeah. So like, would you refuse that God could make your heart glad? Yeah. Um, so in other words, like that you need to be in control. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's harder. This is a harder one. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, yeah, to, 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 to refuse to recognize that there is a place for maybe even, I wonder if we could even go this far to say that there's even a place for frivolity. There's a place for empty calories. It's the sort of, uh, it's the sort of, uh, uh, maybe, you know, the sort of opposite of uh, the the kind of in between that sometimes normally, right. This, this is something to be avoided, but in moderation, it does have its place and it shouldn't be rejected. Even something that has no nutritional value or something that actually, it's just frivolous, right? Well, we can't, again, Um, this goes along with feasting. I mean, I can't yeah, imagine feast. any feast in the Bible that doesn't involve wine. No. And right. uh, uh, and I don't think any feast in the Bible involves gluttony. Right. Well, I mean, it's not supposed to. Right. It, it, I mean, absolutely. It, right. Yeah. Not, not the eschatological. There's no drunkenness or gluttony in the eschatological feast. Yeah. Feasting right. is about frivolity and joy and delight yeah. in what God has done. Yeah. Not yeah, nobody's just count, not counting your face. calories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So counting calories is a kind of fear and worry, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, <laughs> and again, so maybe maybe we ought to, maybe you would ask ourselves, why are we counting calories? Yeah, and not not that there's never a place to do it, but I mean, you know, if we're obsessed with it, if we're worried about it, why is it vanity? Is it fear of you know sickness and death? Mm-hmm. Is it you know? Uh, I mean, there can be an certainly problems with that. I mean, that can go off the rails. Yeah. All right. Last one, clothing. Um, <laughs> so uh, I don't know where you're going to go with this one, right? I mean, I think clothing, this is primarily about vanity, uh, you know, looking good and dressing for others. So caring about appearance, but it could also be uh, 
a, a, a kind of refusal to be discomfort, uncomfortable too, right? Never wanting to be cold, never wanting to be hot, sort of living in an artificial environment outside of mm-hmm. the actual environment that yeah. could be, um, you know, pleasure seeking, pain avoiding t- too much. I don't know how you're going to find uh, opposite of vanity abuse of clothing. Well, I mean, nakedness. I think, well, I no, I think in our day that's also vanity. They want attention, they, so they wear less. Yeah, still vanity, right? I, yeah. I would say slovenliness. Like, oh, good one. Like you know, refusing to shave, um, fair, not yeah. combing your hair, not abiding by really the. Um, the cultural norms that are of your day and your area. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Not, not actually caring what other, how you appear to the world. Yeah. I mean, at all. I mean, not, you know, in, in a way that, you know, not caring if you're offensive to them. Yeah. yeah. So on the one sure. hand, an inordinate yeah. care of how people perceive you and an inordinate um, discare or uncaring of how the world, world perceives yeah. you. Either one yeah, is a, a, be a lack of concern. Yeah. yeah, if you don't, I mean, a lack of concern about other people, right? Mm-hmm. So if I was walking around naked, it would be pretty disgusting to the world. Uh, and if I didn't care about that, that would be mm-hmm. more than annoying. Yeah. yeah. So, I okay. mean, the problem Good like one. in our seminaries, right? They just wear, uh, <laughs> I don't know about now, but in my day, sweatpants. in my day, sweatpants, yeah. right? That kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, uh, in our day, even, you know, jeans for everything. Um, yeah, how you dress for church. Yeah. You could wear a hat to show off, but you could uh, you could also, you know, a- another kind of vanity would be to not wear a hat because mm-hmm. you, just to prove you don't have to. But then but then on the other side of the those would both be vanity, but then you could also just show up to church like you don't care at all what you look like. Mhm. Um yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, there's some possibilities with those three things, right? That'd be a very textual way to preach as well. Um, and, and I think even in those, in food, drink, and clothing, some of the other stuff that we brought up could be, could be brought into it. Mm-hmm. So what about comfort? Where does he, where do we find comfort in this text? I don't, oh, uh, cons- I thought you meant the clothing. Um, well, I mean, uh, certainly when he says uh, that uh, you are of more value than they, mm-hmm. right? And then also, I think by Im- implication, when the command is given to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right, these things shall be added unto you. But I mean, there is this by implication, if you're commanded to do this, you're capable of doing this, right? Mm-hmm. You can actually seek the kingdom of God first. And there is a promise of a blessing in this. These All these things, right, food, clothing, and, and uh, drink will be added unto you. He knows what you need. He'll take care of you. And you just have to learn to wait and trust in this. So again, putting things into the proper, seeking first the kingdom of God is all about order. Yeah. Right. The proper order of things. Mm-hmm. And it's the word, the first, the word that's used for first here is pro, whatever. I can't remember. Proto. It's the word first, not RK. Um, so it is like a, the number in a, the first in a sequence. So the other word that's sometimes used for first can also mean like the ruling thing. So when, you know, in, in John uh, oh, 2, yeah. Jesus' first miracle, that's a different word that could kind of mean the ruling miracle or the, the one that sort of defines the others, the chief. Yeah. But, but this is, this is this actually- is proton. A, 
first. Yeah, proton. So it's actually a, a, yeah, first in a series. So it and again that so that very much establishing there is an order, there is a hierarchy. These things, food, drink, clothing, we know you need them. It's just that it's not the thing you need the most. The thing you need the most is the righteousness that God has provided in Christ. And if mm-hmm. that's in order, then these other things can fall into place and can be enjoyed and used rightly. Mm-hmm. And God will bless you ultimately. Yeah. Okay. So that's quite a bit of comfort. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, I, you know, oftentimes these this gets almost immediately applied like, you're of more value than they. Your of your value is that God gave His only Son. Is that appropriate? Yeah. Is that what yes. you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you can. I mean, that's that's of course that's appropriate. But I I, I think sometimes I, I want to say also, or I think we need to say also that this is the original order of creation. I mean, the reason that God sends His Son to pay for us is because of the order of creation, right? It's not like, well, you know, we were just sort of there with the angels and the other things. And then now (laughs) we get value because of the price that God paid for us. I mean, right. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I don't know, maybe I'm overstating that, but uh, I I don't disagree with the sentiment, but I think sometimes it's as though if Jesus hadn't done that, we wouldn't be worth anything. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, Jesus did that because we had worth and we had worth because of creation and, and the order that he gave. And I mean, it's not as though he is free to not redeem us, you know, according right. to his own, you know, this is, this is who he is in his own character and, and, and what he said and the law that he establishes. Right. Yeah. So, so, I mean, would you, would you say like you could talk about in terms of preaching that, you know, God is the, the giver of life, the creator of life and, and he desire his his desire is that we would actually live and and we see both sides of that here like that we wouldn't that we wouldn't be controlled by the things that sap us of our life and take away our life and actually take away a span of our life not add to it yeah uh, yeah but he's the one who actually adds to it he's the one who makes yeah, it that, bigger and longer yeah that's good i like that yeah verse 27 right there is actually a way to have your life added to. Yeah, there is a <laughs> yeah, way. Not, not by worrying. Yeah, there is a way. You can actually grow in stature in that sense. Uh-huh. And that's by, that's by living the good life, right? By being in fellowship with the Father and by fellowship with the Father at peace with the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's an Even interesting thing because when I hear that, yeah. when, when I read this passage, and I think most of our folks, our folks in the pews, when they hear, you know, who can add one bit of life, you know, to their span, uh, you know, one hour to their lifespan, we all think, yeah, no, yeah, no one can. And that's all we do. And, but we don't think like, well, God actually does. He actually expands yeah, it. Right. <laughs> I mean, I've been a hundred, I'm a hundred percent guilty of that. I've never, uh, I, I've, I've just, I've stopped right there every time my mm-hmm. whole life, right? Who can who can who can add one cubit? I'm like, yep, nope, nobody. <laughs> Wait a yep. minute, there is somebody. Yeah, That's there right. is somebody, yeah. <laughs> and he has. Uh, and in fact, right? I mean, he's adding. Right? This is the abundance, mm-hmm. the uh, the the cup that overflows. Right? Eternal life. Mm. How long is that? Yeah. Uh, keeps getting keeps getting longer by cubits. Yeah. 
So do you talk <laughs> about like a, you know, a, a looking at things in a, an abundance kind of mindset versus the, the very narrow kind of stingy mindset is, is that what's going on here a little bit too? Like you need to expand your horizons and the way you see things. You're just not looking yeah. at things right. You're just not looking at things right. I mean, some of it's abundance. Some of it's just kind of gratitude for, I mean, ab- ab- abundance of beauty, right? Mm-hmm. Again, like, you know, the sort of appreciating the dandelion kind of thing, just recognizing that God is actually in control. I mean, yeah. I think, so again, it's like Lutherans, we, we tend to be, you know, on the kind of, uh, I don't know what scale this would be. We, we tend to be sort of in the sort of scientific realm, I think, more, at least in the world of theology, right? Like mm-hmm. we're all about the objective and what are the facts, you know, give yeah. us the doctrines, the dogma, which I'm all, I love that stuff. I mean, but but there is there is this sort of call in scripture, right, to to wonder and to praise and to rejoice and to to embrace in a sense and recognize the emotional content of this that emotions are not something that was added to us as an afterthought mm-hmm. we are emotional beings right god is love <laughs> and we are love because we bear his image in this world mm-hmm. and right? The creation is an expression of his love, and we should see it as that and recognize that and, right, again, experience it. Yeah. So, learning to see these things is not optional. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to avoid it is to be a stilted Christian, Mm -hmm. as well as a kind of stilted subhuman. Yeah. There's something interesting. Um, I, I tend to drive my family everywhere. I'm the kind of the driver, and there have been a couple times where we've had longer trips and I've gotten sleepy and I'm like, can you drive? And I, it's not like I actually can sleep while someone else is driving because I feel like, you know, I should be in control, of course. But I do, <laughs> I do notice, um, I do notice that I notice things more when I'm not driving. Like I notice the surroundings more because I'm free. I feel free to look around. The, is there an application here in terms of like when we, we want to be in control. And when we are trying to take control, we actually miss all the things that are around us. Or when we're enslaved to like our GPS, we never get off the beaten path. We never see something where we're driving through. We're just focused on staying on this particular path. Is there a sense in which we're just, we're just missing out because we're, we're either wanting to be in control or we're letting something else be in control. Well, we're not just, we are missing out, but we're also making the people around us miserable. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so there, there is a cost beyond just our own tranquility. I mean, we're also, right. We're not actually, again, engaged in the things we should be and we're cranky and we're distracted and we're on and on. I mean, there again, right. I mean, God gives the law to show us what's good and what we were meant Mm -hmm. for. Yeah. I mean, this is a heavy law passage. I mean, the whole Sermon on the Mount is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But again, you know, right, the, the law is given in this mercy and the forgiveness of sins as this restoration so that we would actually know our place in the world. And mm-hmm. So when we break it, when we violate it. Yeah. Well, it's the law of liberty. It, it's the law of life. It is Yeah. Yeah. demonstrating really what we are dying from and what we are enslaved to so that we can actually live free. Yeah. 
So are you preaching on this text or do you have this Sunday off? I'm going to be preaching on it. Any ideas besides what you I don't I mean yeah, I don't know. Direction? I mean I like I like that poem. I might try to do something with the whole I've preached a lot on this consider word. Mm-hmm. Um I mean I you know. But I did enjoy preparing for this more than I usually do preparing for these. I always enjoy it, but I don't know for some reason I kind of came at this text. I thought, oh, brother, this again, right? You know, <laughs> but which I often do again, right? Typical. I just want to, I just want to get the work done. I just want to know what I have to write. And it's hard to enjoy the text, but I got caught up in it in a good way. I spent more time. Maybe you couldn't tell, maybe, but uh, I spent more time with the text this week and it was enjoyable. Um, so I don't know. Maybe there's something just in that experience itself that's related to this that that I'd like to bring out. Yeah. All right. Well, good, good. Thanks for your time. Um, All right. Catch up next week. All right. Thanks, Jason.